always causes us to triumph. It brings so many things to us. We thank you. We honor you. And we love you today. In Jesus' name, amen and praise God. So praise the Lord. Um, Today is what date? The 29th. Okay. Praise God. Next Saturday, of course, is Rejoice Detroit. And our same amen, our same format holds. And uh, um, I just hope you know that the warfare is intense against the people of God. Uh, it always is uh, against what God's doing. And I believe it's because our cry for revival always is heard. But I think God is now <clears throat> lining some things up and putting things in order so that he can uh, do what he wants to do in the earth. One of the things that must be done is our economy must be strong uh, because it's easier to get the gospel to different places if you can put finances in the hands of faithful people. And so you'll begin to see God mobilizing things like uh, like a return of our economy, like we were just speaking about, uh, making the economy stronger, getting people with jobs that aren't killing them. Uh, one of the enemy strategies against the preaching of the gospel is to make uh, one family dependent upon two incomes to survive. That's never been God's way. You got me? Uh, he, he allows, I mean, if you want to use your faith for that, but his way is to make the yoke easy and the burden light and not forfeit the security of the family uh, just to make a paycheck. And so you're going to see people return to the freedom of, not mandatory, but the freedom of the one or two pay- paycheck family. Uh, that people will be able to, jobs that they will have, will pay them uh, enough money that both people don't have to uh, just eke out a living. Uh, the situation with families living in their cars because of being homeless, that's over. Amen? Yes. That, that is over because the economy is strong enough and getting stronger so that people can step out of that and step into good housing now, houses that they own. Uh, the Amos 9.13 is not just for this congregation, but it's for everybody who will believe. And so God is telling people, I am restoring things to you that have created a hardship for you in your life you know so uh, this is that season is definitely over and and some of you know that you some of us here have been caught up in it just because of of not being able to fight against that uh, um, that strong man that is sweeping so many people either into bankruptcy, into default, into all of these things, even though you've been doing the best you can. You know, you're out there with your faith, you're out there with your two jobs, you're out there with everything you got, and you still suffered loss. Well, God is correcting the major aspect of that. See, when he corrects the flow of currency, when he corrects the current of currency, then he can allow it to flow freely where his people are. Now, you know, when, when, if you look at God's interaction with his people in the word, when there was drought or famine, God provided, but he couldn't provide for everybody the way he wanted. So he would get the, the people, get his people in order so that they could pray 
and and repent and he could turn things around and begin to release the blessing again and see that's all he's been doing with this nation and other nations around the world is getting his church out of the world getting our heads out of the world's mentality getting the taste of the world the way the world enjoys it out of us so that he can return us to him and to release the blessing that he wants to release so it's always god's people who will lead the charge whenever there's a return a blessing return to righteousness anything like that so you and i know we have the freedom to pray to god anytime we want to and he will return it around and release a blessing in that place and i believe with my whole heart that he is doing that in this nation he is turning things around so that the blessing can remain here and so we we, it's good though as believers for us to recognize how we got here how these things get released to us and and understand that god gives us a plan for maintaining these things so that we're not consistently losing and then he's got to wake us up and shake us up and get us to see what's going on his plan is for us to live for him and live righteously every day and so he wants us to live in a place of uninterrupted blessing amen uninterrupted blessing and part of that blessing is the liberty that christ has paid for us to have so i thought today i would talk some about how to stand fast in your liberty amen Uh, stand fast in what uh, god wants you to have stand fast in the freedom of christ Uh, don't let yourself get entangled with the devil's web again you know god's already pulled us out of there he wants us to live free from that and and he does not want us to get entangled with the devil's web Uh, I, i began to notice some things about the challenges that were beginning to come upon God's people. You know, some of the challenges like, uh, the, you know, when you take a stand on on uh, whether or not you'll participate in uh, making birthday cakes or wedding cakes for homosexual couples. Uh, that was challenged. You see what I'm saying? That was, so and let me tell you what what is good and bad about it. What's bad is that there's so much support in the world for the 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 things that god hates you got me Uh, there's too much support in the world and see that if if christians uh don't resist it and and go complacent on it and don't say anything it's the same thing as condoning it because god has called us to raise up his standard in the earth so that people have something to look at it's like uh when people were talking about when billy graham passed away and they were saying well who's going to take his place well what did they mean by that what they meant by that was that billy graham represented god to the saint and the sinner he was always respected he had a position of of high moral integrity and so we looked at that as the standard for the rest of God's ministers. We really did. And so when you see people uh, 
um, who have that excellent reputation that he had and all that kind of stuff, you look at it and say, well, he's the leader of the Christian people because so many people hold him in such high esteem. Now, we know that, that God has many leaders, but as far as a witness is concerned, I would say uh, what people are looking for is the excellence of Christian witness in certain people. And, and so we look around and the world doesn't see that anymore. You see what I'm saying? Wondering who's going to take his place because nobody sees anybody that has that stature of respect, that has that uh, uh, that level of um, uh, fruit that comes from their ministry. The numbers of people that got saved in his stadiums and, and all over the world. He went everywhere. Now his son has a degree of that, but he doesn't have it to the degree that the dad has. And he's not looked at as, uh, um, as a, um, someone that everybody looks to and has a favorable view of that individual. And so I believe, this is just me, I believe God does that to make way for the believer to step up into that place of leadership everywhere. So I believe it's time for believers witness to come forth so that they represent Christ like they never have before. So because really, if, as long as we have one person that everybody looks to to represent an example of Christ, then everybody else can take a pass. We can go to sleep. And we don't even have to live for God. You know, it's like, well, you know, we have Billy Graham out there. He's a big Christian, you know, and we can live any kind of way. Well, that's not true anymore because God is calling on all of his people to do their part and live as witnesses for Christ. And see, once the enemy knows that God has transferred that stature on to as many people as they are in the world that that claim Christ see this is what drives him crazy because when he when the the enemy set Jesus up to be crucified he thought well once i get rid of him i've got i've got it but see he didn't know that Jesus would he was playing right into God's plan nothing goes on without God's approval if he doesn't approve of it He'll wake somebody up to pray so he can stop it. You see what I'm saying? So it's, it's all under his control. But, but what, what the enemy doesn't know is the wisdom of God and the vision of God and what that every move that he makes is already checkmated before he gets over to that side of the board. You understand what I'm saying? And so when we, when we understand the long range plan that God has and that will never be stopped then what's to stop us from signing up for God 100%? You know what I'm saying? Whatever you need me to do, God, I'm all in because I see that whatever you plan works and whatever you do, it lasts forever. And so if Satan had known what he was doing in crucifying the Lord, all that did was played into Jesus's plans to raise up more of us. So here we have Satan taking him to to hell and and thinking he has him eternally jesus walks out of hell uh, with him chained up and giving all power to his believers in the same holy spirit that lived in christ and was available to believers on a limited basis is now in us unlimited just like it was in him 
And so, and the longer Christians live, the more of us there are multiplying around the world. See, we have no way to count all of the believers that are in the world. The Bible says the Lord knows those who are his. So that's kind of a secret thing. But we can count on this. If God gives you something to do, it's going to work. You don't have to know numbers. You don't have to know how many Christians are in this. And is Christianity growing faster than Islam? Or You know, Islam isn't even real. So anything that's false, I don't care if it's Islam or whatever you want to call it. If it's false, it comes down in the presence of the Lord. Amen. In Jesus' name, it's already under his feet. So it doesn't matter how fast, you know, you know. There are people that keep data on this stuff and, and God bless them for what they do if that's God. But you can, you can also put a scare in people who are already defeated in their thinking by trying to embellish. You know, it's like you can't scare God's people into doing something. And I think sometimes negative statistics are used to kind of frighten us into getting up and doing something. Like we're not highly motivated by the Holy Ghost to do what we do. You know, the devil can't do push you any faster than God can. So once God tells you what your assignment is and what to do, we just all keep doing what we're called to do. Amen. So we don't have to be moved by data, figures, statistics or anything. Just be moved by the spirit. Suppose there are more of them than there are of us right now. That's a lie anyway, because the Bible says we have the heavenly host. We are two thirds of the angels God created and the devil only has one third. You don't think he's not numbered two to one? So we never have anything to fear about being obedient to God. But Christianity is freedom. We need to understand that. In Galatians 5.1, he says, stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So we've all been bound once before. When we are in our trespasses and sins, we were bound. And so the the writer here is telling us, don't go back to that again. He, he says, behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you are circumcised, Christ, if it will profit you nothing. In other words, if you're relying on your good behavior and your good works, then the fact that you're born again means nothing. You just let, you just let the Holy Spirit sit on the sidelines while you try to do everything right. Amen. He says, for I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. So you can't do it. You can't go back to the animal sacrifices. So cut it out. Jesus was, was, was uh, crucified for us once and for all. He says, if you, if whosoever you are justified by the law, you've fallen from grace. So the one way to, to frustrate the grace of God is to start taking over your life again and trying to take credit and be motivated by your own self to do the things that only God can, can get you to do. So Christianity is freedom. Now what are we free from? There's several things, major things that we're freed from. You're freed from sin, number one. You're not bound. You don't have to. Sometimes, uh, you know, you'll see people, uh, you know, and, and, and we all want to be right. 
sometimes newly newly saved people will uh, think that they have to do certain things still the first thing the devil try to do is convince you if you make one mistake that means your salvation is is nullified and that's not true amen so you are freed from sin also you're freed from the curse you're free from the powers of darkness. So there are certain power empowerments that God has given you in the new birth. So you're free from darkness and the devil's power. You're also free from fear. So those are things that you have been freed from. So what are you free to do now? You're also free to do certain things. Number one, you have freedom to live. You have freedom to succeed and prosper. You have freedom to love. Freedom to forgive. And you have freedom to worship and serve the Lord. So Jesus set us free to live his life only. You are not to free to sin and shrug your shoulders and keep going. That's not freedom. Amen. The freedom that he has given us is a freedom that allows us entry into the life of Christ. So he, we're free to live his divine life. The enemy's strategy is always to re-enslave us. His philosophy is if you liked it before, you'll love it now. That's why the Lord tells us that once you, if, if, when a, a unclean spirit leaves a person, he goes out in the dry places and he finds that place empty where he used to live. You know how uh empty homes always wind up being somebody's house? Even they don't leave homeless people straggle in there, drug addicts straggle in there. Why? Because the enemy is always looking for a dwelling place. Amen. And so uh he says if you let him back in, the last condition is worse than your first. Amen. Why is that true? Well, if you're a sinner, you're you have nothing but the devil to serve. So you're doing what you do in ignorance, not really knowing that there's a God. But if once you, you taste of heavenly things and you find God, you do it again, then your second condition is worse than the first because now you got a bunch of people living in your house. You got the Holy Spirit living in there. You're trying to move some devils back in there. You got you in there. All y'all fighting and tussling. That is a, a, a not so good situation. Amen. So that's a situation of turmoil because now you know that, that, that spirit is not supposed to be active in your life. Amen. And you, but you don't know how to get rid of it kind of thing. Or you are, are succumbing to some lie that tells you you have to live like that. And none of that is true. Amen. And so uh, the sin problem has been solved once and for all. We are forgiven. We are purged. And we are given new life. Second Corinthians 5, if you'll go there.
Oh, five and what? Oh, for crying out loud, I didn't write the scripture down. I should know that by heart. If any man be in Christ, okay, verse 17. Sorry about that. I'm thinking, I said, did I go to sleep right there? All right. If any man be in Christ, therefore, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So what that means when he says new, that means you've never lived before. And many of you know most of our our struggle with the new birth is getting to know what this new person can do, who he is, what he's supposed to be doing with his time, his money, his, you know, what do I do, God, now that, that you own my life kind of thing. So it's new because it, we have no prior knowledge of it, okay? So that word new here refers to not having prior knowledge. Also, not having prior faults. Also, not having prior accomplishments. So you get a whole new slate when you come to God. It's like um, that uh, woman that uh, got uh, the president uh, pardoned her released her from prison. I don't know if she got a full pardon, but she got her her um, sentence uh, terminated. Amen. So she doesn't have to serve out that time anymore. And so um, w- what that really means is that there's nowhere that she goes will they have or be able to hold her record against her as a person who's been released from jail. You know, it's she gets a clean slate to start all over again. So she can start to rewrite her history in life because that that old sentence that was hanging over her has been terminated. It's the same thing with us as believers that 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 old sentence that was hanging over us has been terminated and we get a blank page to start to write our life all over again. Amen. And so, you know, as as she works through whatever is left of the, the vestiges of her own life as she works through that she might have to do parole or she might have to do some other things or something like that as she works through that all that will come off of a a trail behind her a negative trail but see as believers we have nothing on our record see there's no negative trail for us to work through and see, I think that's one of the things that hinders a lot of Christians from going forth in their new life. They think about all the things they used to do and all the things that you, you know, one of the things that the enemy does that, that hinders believers. And this is something that, uh, uh, people do anyway. They'll try to look at their past to understand why they're having problems in their Christian life. And see, I believe that's wrong. See? Because you have no past. So why would it be that if you, you had this in your life or that in your life? Now I realize we have some things that are difficult for us to just let go of memory wise. But you can always go to God and bring Him this scripture and say, God, your Bible says I'm a new creature, but I don't feel like that because of And you help me, Lord. Don't go through life crippled as a believer because you think, see, in this whole victim mentality that the world lives in now, they've created victims out of nothing because many times people will, because they live in their soul, 
and live in their past, they are looking for excuses for not going forth victoriously in life. And see, many times Christians do the same thing. We're looking for excuses to not confront the things of our past. And we'll start to say, well, that's why I'm like I am now, and I have to stay this way. And see, that's not what God has envisioned for any of us. Because we don't have a past that hinders us. We don't have a past that cripples us. We don't have a past that does does anything like that. Uh, old things are truly passed away. That both to hinder us and to help us. See, sometimes we feel we can't get rid of it and we start feeling sorry for ourselves because of it. And that just allows it to remain in your life. See, it becomes a crutch, something to cripple you from gaining the strength God wants you to have. He wants us to be overcomers. He doesn't want us to succumb to all of this old stuff that you see. And then you'll get in, sometimes you get in churches and everybody's in self-pity, you know. And it's like, oh boy. Oh, you doing okay? And I said, just, you know, you can cut it so thick with a knife sometimes because we don't know how to challenge one another. See, we're mean if we tell you to challenge yourself to live according to the word. See, that's, that's, that's mean. You know, you don't understand. Yes, I do. I understand the devil very well. I understand him just enough to kick him out of my life every time I see him. You see what I'm saying? Because that's not going to get you where you need to go. See, you can be doing the best you can, but not feel sorry for yourself because you don't have what you need yet. You can live in a state of joy and contentment and peace uh, anytime you want to. So there's other options for us rather than wallowing in self-pity and trying to live out of a negative past. Be limited in your Christian walk by a negative past. It's like... Uh, you know, say, for instance, if you had a broken leg at one time, you walked on a crutch and for some reason you didn't throw that crutch away. And all of a sudden you're walking fine. You go grab the crutch again. Well, pretty soon that's going to hinder your normal walk. You're healed already. You you can walk normal. You don't need a crutch. And usually people wind up tripping over it and they say, boy, this thing is going to hurt me if I stay on this thing. Let me put this thing down. And so we don't need crutches as believers. We just need to use our faith. Just keep your faith in God. Learn how to get your, snap yourself out of a negative mindset. When you find yourself feeling sorry for yourself, snap yourself out of it and jump to it and get with it. Because old things are passed away. Everything has become new. So, in, uh, so we have a new birth and a new identity according to 2 Corinthians 5.17. Old things no longer exist. The past is in the past and actually is removed from us. So it doesn't even linger anymore. We are totally free from any past failures and accomplishments. In Luke 1, we are freed from fear. This is the prophecy that Zacharias spoke at the birth of John the Baptist. So John's birth signaled the beginning of the new covenant that God was bringing into the earth. This is something that had never happened before. Just like our life in Christ never happened before. 
Here's something that's new coming into the earth, but it's been foretold by God. So he's got people positioned in the earth who are believing and expecting. So be one of those people. People in the earth who are believing and expecting. Zechariah says in, in Luke one sixty eight, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. So number one, fear comes, a lack of uh, freedom from fear comes through the redemption. Because if you've been purchased out of the devil's power, the main devil he uses to control us is fear. If you don't do this, this is going to happen. If you don't do that, that, that's that's the story of everybody's life before they find Christ. And has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began. That we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us. To perform the mercy promised to our fathers. And to remember his holy covenant. The oath which he swore to our father Abraham. So Zechariah here is tying in the old and the new covenants. He'll say, this isn't something new that came in from some cult or something that came in here out of the blue. He said, this is something that was spoken uh, to our ancestors. And this is the fulfillment of it. That we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us. So that's your liberals who are telling you you're, you got hate speech because you you call sin sin and you call righteousness righteousness you should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of those that hate us which means they will never have control over your life i don't care who sues you for what they will god never gives them control over your life when it says save from their hand that means from their power so i don't care how much the devil threatens you he ain't your daddy he doesn't have the a power or authority to take your job from you, to take your house from you, to take your children from you, to take anything from you that God has given you or put under your dominion. So that means the prayers that we pray, the devil can't come in and take those answers from us because God has given us dominion over those things. So we are saved from our enemies in the hand of all that hate us. All that hate us. I don't care who it is that hates you. He has power over all of them. To perform the mercy promised to our fathers. And to remember his holy covenant. The oath which he swore to our father Abraham. That he would grant to us. That we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies. He says that twice. Shall serve him without fear. Who puts fear in you? Your enemy puts fear in you. God isn't making you scared of him. That's the enemy that puts fear in you. And so he says here, we are to serve God without fear. 
that means serve him. I don't care who tells you you can't preach like that or you can't say that or you can't put that Bible on your desk at your job. You can't have 15 minutes to go pray in the bathroom. You can't. You he saved you out of those people's hands. They have no authority over you. You just have to learn how to operate in love. I always consider those a love test. See, are you going to forgive that person immediately and give a response that God would have you give? Or are you going to take it personally and get angry, get upset, say something that's that's from the dark side? You can repent if you do. You always go to God, get forgiven. You know, just just don't keep trying to justify it. And say, God, I'm sorry, I flunked the test right then, but I know how the devil's coming now, so I'm prepared. You know, help me to stay prepared. And he says, <clears throat> we serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him, not compromise. Amen. Compromise is the result of fear. And you, child, shall be called the prophet of the highest, for you shall go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. To give knowledge of salvation to his people. That's what we're called to do. By the remission of their sins. Salvation for the remission of sins. That's our message. That's the only message we got. That's what reconciles people to God. Is they they get forgiven of their sins. Through the tender mercy of our God. Whereby the day spring from on high has visited us. To give light to them that sit in the shadow of darkness in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And so when you think about all that God has saved us into, it it is built upon the foundation of repentance and freedom from sin and living righteous and holy in this earth. If you live right, as they say, you will receive, you'll eat the good of the land. That's all you got to remember to do is don't let the devil talk you into getting over, crossing over, and living like the heathen. Yeah. Loving anything more than you love God and let that motivate you to step over the line. You're not allowed to do that. You're only allowed to do what God wants us to do. So God is the one who is preparing us and helping us to live right and holy for him. So we are freed from fear. And from the power of of darkness, the sin problem has been solved. We are forgiven, we are purged, and we are giving a new, spotless, sinless life. So that new birth and new identity come because God has fulfilled the promise that he made to the Jewish nation. That Those are our ancestors. We're delivered from all that hate us. So salvation comes to preserve natural life and eternal life. Because the prophecy of Zechariah encourages both. Amen. In Galatians 3, if you'll turn there. Somebody tell Alicia she can come in here. She wants to stand up there and watch this stuff all day long. And tell her, Miss Donna. Yeah, tell her just sit on the edge of the. Yeah. Praise God. Old people, you say a watch pot never boils. Amen. 
<clears throat> All that stuff will be fine. Praise God. So we are redeemed from the curse of the law. Galatians 3.13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Being made a curse for us. For it is written. Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. That the blessing of Abraham. Might come on the Gentiles. Through Jesus Christ. That we might receive the promise of the spirit through faith. So you receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Now, many of the people who are waiting on Messiah didn't know what that meant. They didn't know that the Holy Spirit was the one that was promised to them. And when he came, he would help them to fulfill all of the promises that were given to them that the Messiah would would grant to them. And so it it becomes a a matter of study and diligence how much you get out of the covenant. The old covenant there was like a a group a group mentality. You know, everybody had to go to the day of atonement that was once a year. Every you had to do these group things and you were forgiven as a group. And then God says, the day will come where you won't say, uh, know the Lord. Everyone will know them for themselves. So there's this day coming where you are, are cut loose from the group mentality and you have this personal thing between you and God where you go to him personally. It, your, your salvation and your blessing is not dependent upon what the whole nation of Israel does like it was back in the day. You know, you would see things start to, to slip away. You know, the priesthood would start to get a little sloppy. They wouldn't uh, do the uh, diligence over the people the way they should. Or in the day of Samuel, when Samuel was first born, Eli and his sons had slipped back and, and, and God didn't want that nation to go totally backslid. So he raises up a prophet to begin to cause those people to keep their connection with God. See, in all the things that God is doing in the earth, he wants his people to keep the connection with him. And so the new birth, though, and the new covenant affords God the privilege of being able to deal with people individually and not as a nation. And that's a wonderful thing. He's got a nation of people worldwide. That is the worldwide body of believers where God can speak by the Holy Spirit that dwells in individuals. He can speak to us individually and instruct us and pull us apart and, and deal with us. So then this way, God is able to bring many sons and daughters to Christ. Amen. And so this, that's why it's a better covenant. It's better in so many different ways. Because number one, it's better for God getting his work done in the earth. It's better for, uh, those of us who are believers to be able to do our, to live without fear. You know, you can, you don't have to do as, as Daniel did, you know, where he was being spied on when he prayed. Cause they were captives in Babylon. You're, you're captive by nobody. 
you can free freely pray where, when, and, and however you want to pray, because God now has broken that curse off. That thing is broken off, where there had to be a national move, you know, to get people to come to Christ. He can work through one person. He can anoint a person, one individual, to the point where they can win thousands of souls to him all at one time. So God is not limited. This covenant took no, not only the uh, limits off of us, but it took them off of God, too, in dealing with us. Amen. So he's able to somebody tell Chuck to come in here. I see her roaming around. Tell her, get on in here. Sit under this word. Praise God. Praise God. I'd rather have people here than have them roaming around because that's a distraction to me. I, I can tell where people are moving and they five blocks down the street. You know what I'm saying? So let's get it together here and let everybody focus on the word. So the new birth broke that that power of darkness, the power of um, limitation. See, there's no limit. That's why, you know, you'll hear people preach messages. Take the limits off God. Don't limit God. Why? Because he's not limited. Amen. And we're not limited in what we can do for God. We can do whatever God tells us to do. Jesus said we do greater things than he did. And people sit and try to figure what greater is. Well, just do what he did. You know, do the stuff. Do what he did. And, and, and do, do what you know to do, but expect to do more. That's what that means. That don't ever get satisfied at the level that you're at. Always see yourself doing more for God. I don't care what you're doing now, what you feel your obligations are. Always see yourself doing more for God and see him doing more for you. Amen. It works both ways. So we are delivered. Uh, Galatians 3.13 says we're redeemed from the curse of the law, not obedience to it. So you're never redeemed from having to obey God. You got me? You obey him. The curse is for when you disobey. See, the freedom and the liberty comes because you don't have to second guess every move you make and everything you do. See, if you're constant, if you're under the curse, you're constantly wondering if I do this wrong, that's going to throw us in the pokey for 10 generations. You see what I'm saying? And so instead of the the Israelite using the knowledge of the curse to motivate him to obey God, they just gave up. That's what, that's what you and I did. Remember back in the day before you were saved, you say, I'm going to quit doing this. Or you endeavor to be right. You maybe go to the church every now and then. When you go to church, you leave out of there, making up your mind, you're going to do everything right. And then by Tuesday, you're screwed up again. So you say, ah, that don't work. You understand what I'm saying? Well, the new birth took that away from, that's not our experience. If it is, it shouldn't be. But see, every now and then that demon will creep back up on us again, doesn't he? You know what what happens? You start looking at somebody. This way, see, the church, the body of believers, is they're supposed to, <laughs> I hate to use this word. It's a snowflake word. They're supposed to be our safe place. You know, now, now seriously, the devil steals every con- concept that God gives us 
But really, the church, the word sanctuary does mean refuge and safe place. So your safe place is among the body of believers. Let me encourage you to put your guard down. Quit acting like you're among enemies. Quit looking fishy-eyed at people. Quit looking suspicious at people, you know, and and wondering. See, the first thing that happens, you get in the sanctuary, the safe place. This should be a place where people feel comfortable, they feel loved. First thing they have, we find one person that wants to start looking at faults. There's a fault-finding spirit, amen? And they'll start watching people for and looking when they do wrong. And then when they find it, I got them. Gotcha. You don't do this right. And then we start judging them. And that's why we don't get any farther. Because the Bible says, don't judge because you will be judged. Whatever you pass out to other people, God uses that same measuring stick to measure your life. So if you're, if you're measuring people don't, they don't deserve. Listen, this is the first thing we want to say. Somebody doesn't deserve to be blessed. Because they don't do everything right. Because you done found something wrong. You done found a flea on them. Or a piece of lint. You know what I'm saying. Lint pickers. You done found something with your little suspicious eyes. And you've, you've, um, you've disqualified them. And you'll, you've nullified their right to blessing because you found something on them. That you see is not right. Huh? Well, if that's true, then God is, since you, you're the one holding the standard, now God's using your standard to judge your life. Huh? And so now you not only got to live up to God's expectations, but yours because you put them on somebody else. So see what happens after a while is believers, when you get in an assembly, you look to yourself and say, you know what? I got too many problems at home for me to come in here looking at anybody. Let me, I was glad when they said, let's get in the house of the Lord because I'm going to sit here and see if I can get some notes that's going to help me get out of, huh? Whatever. And see, the devil sees that door locked the next time he tries to get it. He said, no, devil, I see what, I see where it's wrong. Amen. Because really what you do, let me tell you what you do when you do that. Now, it's a little hard for me to explain this concept, but what we start to do is we start to judge the blood of Jesus as not being effective to remove that person's sin. So you start to accuse the blood. And that blood doesn't work for you either. See, whatever you release out, that's what you get judged by. So that's why you feel condemned every time you get ready to go do something or you want to, you want to have a a pure thought and it don't come to you. All you can do is think depressed, discouraged, all that kind of stuff because the blood is not effective in your life because of what you've accused it of not being able to do in somebody else's life. See, that's why the Bible commands us to love everybody. I believe that you're going to be the biggest saint. You're going to be have the best ministry. You're going to have to be the most successful person. I believe everything that God has said about you will come to pass. And there's no limits on your life. See, that's not hard to do. Unless you stay in a condemned and accusatory mindset. 
You're free to step out of that mindset anytime you want to. You're a new creature in Christ. I tell you what, our example is is Paul and Silas in jail. Now, you can use that scripture for a lot of stuff. Worship leaders use it uh, to advance their agenda. Praise is everything. Oh, we don't have to read the word and live right, but praise is everything. As long as we can get in there, holla. Dollar, holla. But but really what that says is this, that when God sets one free, he sets everybody free. He didn't leave nobody in jail that night, did he? Everybody got out. So he didn't come just for Paul and Silas because they were apostles and on their way to prayer and they just got hijacked from the prayer meeting they were doing good and that's why god got them out you a lie he got them out because he wanted to get everybody out of jail you understand what i'm saying <coughs> salvation is for all it's just not for a few and when god wants us to know when he visits our life there's enough good should be enough goodness coming to our lives for overflow for people who are not even close to you. You don't even know them. They may not be. But there's an overflow of goodness out of the life of every saved person. So don't bottle it up and get entangled with the yoke of bondage of judging people. Let people out of jail, please. Amen. Because God has set you free. Everybody's supposed to get free now. Are you kidding me? We're the freedom people. We're not the bondage people. You know, I see stuff on Facebook, the most revolting things being said about God's people. And you see people clicking like. When they start talking about the church needs to do this and that, I say, well, you're not Jesus. He's the head of the church. As far as the last thing I remember him saying is he was the head of the church. So you don't have no announcement for the whole church. You see all these false prophets on there. You're going to get this, that, and the other. Sometimes I want to say, who are you talking to? I just overlook it because, see, I get in sin messing around with crazy people. So, you know, you just keep it moving. You know what I'm saying? If God gives you something real wise, because, see, pretty soon they'll quit because God will get on them and make them stop. And so that's why God, please clean up Facebook because these people got stupider than they were the last time I looked on here. So we are redeemed from the curse of the law, but not obedience to the law by the spirit. Not by your little rules and regulations, your do's and your don'ts. Because like we say, you tried that before you got saved and it didn't motivate you to keep living for God. How did it? Huh? So not obedience to it. Where we fail, we have someone uh, to go to and help us and give us a do-over. So that's, that's what you have in the new birth. You have instead of the curse, you get a do-over. The curse stopped your do-overs. Because in an old covenant, all you would do would be do sin again. You got it? See, in the new birth, you can do righteousness. You couldn't do that under the old covenant. You could obey the law until you ran afoul of it. And afterward, after a while, God said, time out, day of atonement. So the day of atonement was a time out for everybody to come clean and get a new start nationally. You get a new start personally 
when you go to God and you ask him to forgive your sins. And so if we'll live like that, if we'll live in a continual mentality of repentance and forgiveness, always turning away from self, always turning away from selfishness, always turning away from greed and from looking at stuff and coveting and all that kind of stuff and discouraging yourself. Amen. And he says, when you when you live a redeemed life, a redemption of the curse, you get a do over and a new mindset with it so you can enjoy your do over. See, there should be nobody that God comes to and corrects and gives you another chance that you sit up and you get mad because you got to do it over and you didn't get it right the first time. Your spirit man is craving the do-over because he's sitting sick of sitting on the sidelines letting your flesh control everything. He wants to live and help you live a good life. So we are to enjoy your life of doing over. The reason we have to do over so many times is we don't learn how to get joy in the do-over. Oh, well. Where? Oh, I just thank the Lord for so I wouldn't act like it. And I mean act like it every day. Act like it when you get corrected. Act like it when he tells you the last time you did that, that wasn't what he told you to do. How would you like it to be a a faithful pastor of a church for 19 years and then God tell you he never told you to do that? He did that with Brother Hagin. But Brother Hagin lived humbly enough before God. See, he he came through tradition. When you do you know you get re- forgiven for religious tradition too? Huh? You know a lot of times we'll come out of tradition and and feel bad about it forever. You were just reaching out to God with with the faith you had. If you had really come into a spirit-filled environment, you probably would have run with your little Baptist self. Because you had that mindset. We we all come in this world with kind of a religious mindset. And it's molded and shaped by what we know about God. Or what we think we know. So he lets us get into a comfortable environment. So as not to discourage us from reaching out to him. He said well I know them. They think church is everything. I'm going to let them keep going to church. Then one day I'm going to let them get tired of that dry church day in. And they start panting and hungering for more. That's how we all get saved. We want more. We don't want just coming to church and feeling bad and being a sipping saint. You know, you want to go to church, but that party lasted too long last night. You understand what I'm saying? So once we really get tired of that and we're in an environment where they say God is, but we seldom see him really do anything, we'll start to get a hunger for more. The reason why religious people don't use the Bible is because they know what's going to do to you. So your leaders are stacked up against you. Nobody's been, you all been spirit filled ever since you first started knowing God. Well, then you'll notice is right, right? The reason your old Baptist pastor, your old Catholic people didn't open the Bible is because they knew what it would do to you if they opened it. It would tear the system up. The minute somebody starts reading the Bible, they tell. I mean, I, I, we, uh, Tony and I led a little Amish kid to the Lord, and and he said he said, we told him we said, do you have a Bible? He said, yeah. He said, but they get mad at us if we open it up. 
Amish people. Nice people. Cook good food at them places. They let y'all eat as much as you want, right? Nice people. But they they fight one another for knowledge of the scriptures. For many years, the Catholics had had uh, one edition of the Bible for the Pope and them people, one for the common people. Vulgate, that's what you vulgar every day. That's what they called that Bible that they let y'all read. But they always had real scriptures. They keep you out of it. Religious spirits will tell them not to open that Bible and make y'all open it up and get everybody to get a Bible and all that kind of stuff, even though you can get them at the dollar store. So the price has never been a problem. could always get cheap Bibles, free Bibles. They give them to, if they can give you, uh, if a funeral home can pass out fans for church people, they can pass out Bibles. But see, the Bible is where the power of God is. Because we're the word, the word of God and the power of God. You know what it's done to you since you've had the freedom to be able to read it and follow it and do what you want it to do. Well, understand that you've been in, in bondage to ignorance of God because of religion. Well, I don't care. Think about it for a little bit. You figure it out. So we have freedom from certain things. We talked about those. Then we have freedom to do certain things. One of the things that we are free, last thing we have that we're free from is fear. Fear is self-consciousness. Being aware of yourself and your faults. Then every now and then the devil will come along and tell you something to feel good about yourself for. But that's rare. Mostly he beats you up for your faults. Self-consciousness, nakedness. When you have freedom in Christ, you're free to reveal yourself to others. You're not ashamed of your nakedness anymore. Amen? That's why most, remember when you first got saved, everybody did what? Gave their testimony. Uh-huh. And then we start comparing testimonies and we have to stop doing that so much. Oh, I didn't have, ah, uh, uh, mine don't sound like hers. I don't, <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? We do that stuff. That crazy stuff. I didn't have all that go on in my life. Yeah, well, whatever. You need someday you used to ask God, tell me what my testimony is. That's really how you overcome. If you don't know what it is, I remember, I think, telling everybody one time to do that as an assignment. Ask God to tell you what is your testimony. You know, some people, their testimony is so so blatant, a change. They remember the date, the year, every what they were doing when they got saved. Amen. And they'll write it down. They'll get a Bible and write down the, my, my new birth date. They had two birthdays, natural birth and the new birth. Amen. Well, that's fine. But if you don't remember the date and the time, that don't mean you ain't saved. You understand what I'm saying? Is if we could just get away from groupthink. <laughs> You're an individual. God saved you when he saved you because he wanted to save you. You understand what I'm saying? There are a lot of kids out there don't know when they were born and who their father is. But they're here. God wants them to have life and abundant life because they're here. You see? 
So yeah, we, we would give testimony. When you have a loss of fear, you boldly share the vision that God has for you. And you're not shy about sharing it with other people. I don't care if the devil tries to condemn you for it. Huh? I remember when I, I first found out I was called to the ministry. I was in, in a women's ministry working. You know, God was having me. He was training me there. You know, everything that you do is training. Training for, for more responsibility and training for uh, greater things. And and <clears throat> I remember being excited. They would, they would uh, every now and then we'd have speakers that operated in the gifts of the spirit, you know, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, give you a prophecy. Of course, everybody wanted to come to those and everybody, you know, just like good servants of God, you know, they would give you a go to God on your behalf, even though you just got a prophecy last time they were there, which was six months ago. You know, you got in line and got another one from them. And I remember uh, receiving a prophecy from this this one woman. She was extremely accurate, but she always went to the Bible. She would find a scripture. God would give her a scripture. And, and, and you know, since now, standing in that office, I said, man, that chick had a lot of confidence in God. Because, you know, if you get chapter and verse and you ain't all chapter and versey in the way you remember the Bible, like me, you don't know what's in there. So, you know, I'd be wanting to read it. I wonder what that say, Lord. I don't know. Do that apply to them? But you can't do that. You know, you just have to give it by faith. Lord God, And that's the way he used her gift. And I remember her giving me the prophecy. And and uh, I thought it was, I thought, wow. I said, is that who I am? I said, am I going to do that? And, I was just, and so I went to one of the more mature saints in the ministry. And I told her, I said, you know what? I said, I just found out God's called me to teach. And she looked at me, she said, oh, you just got the overflow off my prophecy. See? You see, for everything that God plants in your life, doesn't the Bible say the devil comes to pluck it up right away? But remember, Jesus, when the man, they told him, don't bother the master any longer. Your daughter's already dead. And the Bible says, immediately, Jesus turned to him and said, and immediately I heard the Holy Spirit say, he said, he said, that's not right. He said, I've got enough. She said, you don't ever have to live off somebody else's overflow. He said, what I have for you, I have saved for you from the foundation of the earth. And there's plenty for everybody else. You got me? Amen. And you follow people. You know, I'm friends with her now. But she was a really good teacher when I knew her. But she didn't teach anything now. And she's on Facebook asking for prayer just like all the other people. Do you understand what I'm saying? Don't stay small forever. Amen. Don't ever try to. And don't put your smallness on somebody else. You see what I'm saying? And so when people, the, the, the enemy can hit people with jealousy and and you forgive them you know come on now i'm not i've been watching her to see her do bad you understand what i'm saying but but for somebody who's living off overflow of somebody else why do i have the more now and she has less you got me so god will and and he he can't deny himself this is why you see these things he allows you to see them so that he can can remind you of what he told you and how that came to pass for you. 
and how what somebody else tried to prophesy to you failed because it did not come from God. And so that's all. He can't deny himself. God will never be able to deny that he told me that to correct what this woman said. You understand what I'm saying? And so he has to validate every truth that he plants in your heart. He must. That's why a lot of times people will will do things like, like marry the wrong person. And God will tell them that you're going to find out that is not the person for you. And you're going to find out that I'm telling you the truth. And then pretty soon that thing falls apart. It's never what they thought it was going to be. And then later God will even show them the person he had intended for them. Now what is God trying to do? Make you miserable? No, he can't deny himself. He can't deny he told you that was the wrong person. And he had somebody else for you. Are you kidding me? Oh God, there's nothing I can do. Yeah, I know. It's not fatal. Just dance with the one you brought to the dance and keep on living. You understand what I'm saying? But I'm saying God cannot deny himself. He can't deny he told you that and leave that hanging out there. and You never see evidence of that word he spoke to you. Come on, grow up, everybody. Now, let's get with it here. We can't stand. You can't stay dumbfounded at everything. God's not a man that he should lie. And he's going to show you everything he speaks over your life is true. He's going to show you every prophecy that you had that could have come to pass for you that didn't come to pass for you and why. To get you to grow up. So that this time when he talks to you, you start believing it. Because you could have believed it and obeyed on it then. So start believing it. So he's loosed us from fear. You know, you can go anywhere in the world and feel at peace. Because God's given you freedom from fear. You don't have to fear anybody. You don't have to fear Nazis. You don't have to fear uh, Muslims, communists, anybody like that. You can go anywhere without that he sends you without fear. We have dominion over that which used to dominate us. So God has given, in other words, when Jesus took the keys of death and hell, that lets you know that anything from hell that used to keep you bondage, you have the keys to it now. And this will help you when you have to pray for people who are drug addicted. And you pray for them, you believe in God to set them free right there, and the devil tells you that prayer didn't work. No, look, devil, I got the keys. Uh, I got the keys. So I've unlocked him and you don't have him anymore to lock him up again. This is why the enemy tries to ensnare us. He hates to lose and he wants to destroy what God loves and that's us. You're made in the image of God. He's not. He's an angel. I'm the image. Huh? He's to serve us, not the reverse. He had it flipped over for a minute, but Jesus flipped it back. What are we free to do? We're free to worship and serve God. We have commands inside of us to pursue God. 
We have that hunger and thirst for righteousness. Sometimes you don't know what it is. Uh, you know, those are hard things to pinpoint what the need is. Sometimes I think God hides from us exactly what we need so that we'll know only he's the only one who can, you know. I mean, that's true in the natural. You ever feel like you're hungry and get up and go open the refrigerator door and can't decide on nothing? You sit there and hold the door open till somebody says, look, idiot, close the door. Uh, my mother used to, they, if you ever had what they called an ice box, and don't be counting my rings because I said ice box. Everybody tried to judge how old you are. But uh, they would get ice and put it in a, a wooden cabinet. and But it kept your food cold because that thing would seal shut. And they would bring a block of ice, you know, and, and it would be delivered. Now, I think I remember that a little while when we were kids and then we got a re- real refrigerator. Amen. The difference is like night and day. You could keep some stuff in there, but if it wasn't around the ice, it wasn't doing too well. It looked pretty sick in a few days. And so what they would do, old people would tell you, girl, shut that ice box. Be letting all that cold air out. Because if you kept it open, the block of ice would melt faster. Huh? And so you got, and even when the refrigerator came, they did the same. Shut that refrigerator, you know, shut that door. And so I could always hear that. I knew if I couldn't decide what to eat in a little bit of time, shut that door, you know, because, but you know, you do that. You can never pinpoint when there's a craving inside of you and a desire inside of you. What we generally do is we put a label on it ourselves. Because we don't really know how to discern things like hunger and thirst and and lack. We don't we don't know where that sense of lack and dissatisfaction is coming from. That's why God gives us the fruit of the spirit. He says, "This is what you really want." You mean fruit? I want some chips, huh? How many of us want fruit right away? You know, I can't die. I'm gonna die if I don't get orange, huh? But we'll die for chips, we'll die for popcorn, we'll die for snack mix, we'll die for a lot of things, but because we don't even know how to interpret our own desires. And lack is the hardest one to figure out. Because you you always answer your own, you fill in the blanks. Oh, when I get more money, I can get this, 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 always the answer we get. When I get, I'll be glad when I get so and so because I won't be feeling like this empty on the inside, huh? God has to even interpret our desires for us. That's why He said, "If you delight in Me, I'll give you the desires of your heart, because then I'll be able to put in your heart the things you really need, and I can. I know you're getting the right thing. Then you're not. That's how people get overweight. We keep." craving stuff and keep cramming in and it never gets satisfied lack is is it that's why i I try to you know in a gentle way (laughs) as gentle as i can be i don't believe you did that you know (laughs) that's what you feel but you know people who eliminate certain things out of their diet i said you really know what you're doing there huh now sometimes you can just get common sense nutrition but I happen to have an education in them things. You understand what I'm saying? And and one of the pitfalls of, of modern diets has been the elimination. You see what I'm saying? 
You have liberty in Christ, but the devil wants to put you back under the law. God's word will override that. God says if you bless it, sanctify it, it's, it's right for your body. The main people that don't, that have all these lacks and fetishes, don't pray over their food. And if they do, it's a ritual. They don't believe it does anything to the food to speak God's word over it. But I happen to believe it. <laughs> you understand what that? Huh? But they'll start taking salt out of it. First thing, first culprit, pork and salt. Huh? Well, that's what Muslims, this way Jews eat. Not the salt, but they definitely take the pork out. So what you've done is you've taken a little bit of this religion, a little bit of that religion, and you mixed it up and you call it your life. huh? And so the next thing the devil wants to put out there, he can make you eat that too because you don't stick with the word of God in what you do. You see what I'm saying? The Bible says it's all good for you, nothing to be refused if it's taken with the word of prayer and thanksgiving. If you're craving things, if you resent what you have to eat because you don't have enough money to get what you really want. See? This is what people do. I wish I'd be glad when I'd be glad. Trying to figure out that craving, that lack in you. Lack is, is lack of the fruit of the spirit. You lack joy. You lack thanksgiving. You lack contentment. You lack, there's so many things you can pull into your life. That will cause that lack to go away. You pull in some thanksgiving. God, I'm just thankful I have something to eat today. You understand what I'm saying? You know, sometimes I'll go in the refrigerator and I'll say, where's my leftovers? (laughs) I hoard them so long they done went bad. You know, now I'll cook for other people, you know, and, and joyfully do it. I like hospitality. But where myself is concerned, I don't go through all that trouble. You understand what I'm saying? And so I'll cook some things and, and want to save them and all this. And I said, dang, I didn't get around to eating that yet. And, and then it's gone. You understand what I'm saying? But be thankful. I'm thankful that I have leftovers. And some people look at them and feel like they're, it's, that's beneath them. You know, we don't have no fresh food. My husband tried that one time, and you know how you give him the sister look? I said, talking to me? I'm the only one cook around here. You ain't satisfied with what? No, I didn't say that. I didn't think so. You know, you get in your box. I'm in mine. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Your job is to sit there and be thankful. We having that nonsense around here. Some things, and I wasn't being disrespectful, was I? Huh? <laughs> Didn't mean to be. Huh? Did I go too far? <laughs> Good. Because I didn't think I did. Thank you. <laughs> I remember <laughs> one time, I don't know what I was going on, on about, and I looked over at my poor husband. <laughs> he was a little nerve sitting in the chair. His hair was sticking all up. And, and God said, look at him. And I said, he said, don't do that to him again. I said, oh, you know what the Lord said? He said, he looks like he wrestled an alligator. I said, really? <laughs> so I didn't do it no more. I don't know what it was, but I just stepped over the line, I think. You know what alligators do? They get you what they call a death spiral, and they'll hug whatever it is they're trying to kill and keep rolling you over in the water until they drown you. I said, okay, God, let me stop. I think I'll stop. 
I do want him to live. So you know what I'm saying. But anyway, you know, that's, that's what the Holy Ghost is for. So we have freedom to do several things. Go and preach is the other one. You're free to worship and serve God. You're free to go preach the life-giving gospel. So you're the one with the overflow. Your overflow will touch other people. You're free to forgive. It's very powerful and very life-changing. I think I'll finish some of this tomorrow because I wanted to give you some good examples of a life of forgiving and understanding the power of forgiveness. So I'll just give you these as topics. You're free to bless. You're free to pray. You're free to love. In fact, you are commanded. You have an overflow of love in you. For those of you who get stingy or think you don't, you didn't get enough hugs or something. And you're free to give. So you're free to forgive and you're free to give. Forgive is releasing of things, negative things that have been given to you. And giving is the stewardship over the blessed part of your life that God has given to you. So we're going to talk, uh, we'll finish these up tomorrow. I just didn't want to skim through them real quick. I see I only have a couple minutes left. So, so we're going to, uh, we'll stop here. Amen. Thank you, Father. We bless you, Lord, and we thank you for what you've done. Helping us to understand your covenant. Helping us to understand your goodness. Helping us to understand your love. We thank you, Lord. We bless you and we praise you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen and praise God. Amen, amen, amen. If anybody needs prayer, come on up. We'll pray for you.